Thank you for joining us here on the Radio Bible Course for our study of Galatians. We are dealing with Galatians chapter 3, and once again, verse 22, But the Scripture consigned all things to sin, that what was promised to faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And we pointed out in our last program that when one believes, he is set free from the law. The Bible tells us here in this chapter, and that's what the word consigned means, it means to lock up, that Israel was locked up as though they were imprisoned or in bondage by the law. And I also pointed out that the New Testament teaches that God's word associates the spirit with the Christian's freedom, but never does it associate the spirit with the law. The Spirit's antipathy to live under law is forcefully expressed in 2 Corinthians 3. Listen to these brief statements. It brings out what I have just said. The written code kills, but the Spirit gives life. The dispensation of death carved in letters on stone. That's verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3. Notice He calls it the dispensation of death. What was the dispensation of death? It was the law carved in letters on stone. And what part of the law was written in stone? Only the Ten Commandments. Do you want to live by the Ten Commandments? Then go out and tell people that you are living under the dispensation of death. Well, we read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We come to the next verse, verse 8. He said, Will not the dispensation of the Spirit have more splendor than what? Than the splendor that came with the law? Paul is making a contrast. You can't live under law and live by the Spirit at the same time. That just won't fit. It won't work. And then in verse 17, Paul writes, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Obedience to law? No, there is freedom. Now this is a wonderful expression for the Christian that he ought to stay clear of the law because he has been delivered from the law. Christ died to set you free of the law, the law which condemns, the law which demands the death penalty. He paid it. He fulfilled it. It's over with. Christ in heaven is saying, I died to the law to set them free from the law. Why are they wanting to go back under the law? Well, since the law was a form of bondage, it is apparent that men freed by the Spirit have a new way to live. But many Christians are convinced that the way to live as a believer is to try to follow the law. Now, I say this without fear of contradiction. You can't walk by the Spirit, which we are commanded to do, and at the same time try to live by the law. Galatians 5 tells us this quite clearly. Listen to Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is true because the law calls on a man's effort. 
And that's known as the flesh, human effort. And it is against the desires of the spirit. You see, the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. Human effort and God's effort by the spirit are contradictory. They don't work together. Many people associate the spirit with an experience. God did not send the spirit at Pentecost to give people a feeling or to prove that God understands all languages. The Spirit was sent to fill in for Jesus Christ. The Spirit is another counselor. That's what Jesus referred to him as in John chapter 14. He is another counselor, another like Christ, who came with God's truth to set us free. Our great mistake is thinking of the Spirit as school spirit, with cheers, shouting, and gymnastics. The Spirit is a member of the Godhead. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And God has chosen to send the Spirit to live in those who believe in Him. And that Spirit, we are told in Romans chapter 8, will raise us up just as He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we move on to the next section, Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, and that will take us to the end of the chapter. Follow as I read this section, and this is so instructive to the Christian. If you still think you ought to be living by the Ten Commandments or by the Old Testament law, and that includes the Sabbath day and tithing and various other things there, then this section is for you. You'll profit from it. And I pray your heart will be open and listen to the word from the Spirit of the living God. This was inspired so that Christians would be free. If you can accept this, and I trust that you will, then you won't find religion a problem. It won't be a burden to you. You won't be thinking in terms of what you have to do, but rather what you can do. You want to be working for God rather than working for religion. Now listen to what Paul writes in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint until faith should be revealed so that the law was our custodian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. For in Jesus Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In this section, Paul attempts to depreciate the splendor of the law by using two figures, a prison and a child trainer. Some of your translations don't say child trainer. They say custodian or schoolmaster. That's King James. 
or Tudor, that's New American Standard, in verses 23 and 24. The Jewish teachers had exalted the glory of the law in order to win the Galatians' submission to the law. So Paul here sets forth the negative aspects of that law of Moses. That's one way of turning people around. They tend to look at the law as something good, something that will help them, but they never look at the negative side of it, and Paul wants them to see the negative side, and it's clearly expressed here. Now, first I want to call your attention to the pronouns in this section. To whom does Paul refer when he says we and us and our? Notice verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were confined under the law. To whom is he referring when he says we? Well, keep in mind that he is writing to Gentiles. Galatians were Gentiles. But when he's talking about the law, he is saying we, we Jews were confined. Who was confined before faith came? The Bible is clear that only Jews were under that law of Moses. It was given only to those children of Israel who came out of Egypt. Paul means before faith came, we Jews were confined under the law. And listen to how Romans chapter 2 verse 12 declares that there are two groups of people in the world in respect to the law. He writes, All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Well, who are those who have sinned without the law? Gentiles, because that law was never applied to them. It was never given to them. And who are those who have sinned under the law? Those people who were obligated to keep it by the fact that God gave it to them as his peculiar people and his standard for that holy nation. They were the Jews. Now, who sinned under the law? Jews. Who sinned without law? Everyone else. Gentiles. Paul explains this further in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. He writes, When the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now, I don't think he could have made it more clear. He tells us that the Gentiles are not under the law. There were some who were putting themselves under the law, but God never asked them to do that. God has asked men to believe in Jesus Christ who ended the law, not to go under the law. I need to ask a question at this point. For those of you who are familiar with the book of Acts, why was the council meeting held in Jerusalem at about 50 A.D.? That council meeting was attended by Paul and Barnabas, by the apostles, and by the elders of the church at Jerusalem. Why did they call that meeting? Because there was a controversy. It started up in Antioch in Syria, when some of the Jewish brethren were insisting and arguing with Paul and Barnabas that it was necessary to apply the law to those new Christians, people who had believed the gospel as a result of Paul and Barnabas preaching. 
these Jews were enraged that such people could be brought into the church without being circumcised and without being taught the law of Moses. And Paul couldn't get anywhere with them. And uh, that gives me a lot of comfort because there are Christians I meet today, no matter what I say or how many scriptures I show them, they just won't budge. They are wed to the law. And since Paul couldn't win the argument, and I can't either, I take comfort in that fact. And the result was that the church sent Paul and Barnabas to the apostles to settle the matter, and they did settle it. But now, if you have your text in front of you, beginning with verse 23, listen to the pronouns. In verse 23, we have our and we. In verse 24, we have our and we. And all of those refer to Jews. In verse 25, he writes, But now that faith has come, we, we Jews. In verse 26, he writes, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You refers to Gentiles. And in verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's a reference to Gentiles. And verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And to whom does the you refer there? All people, Gentiles and Jews. And then finally, verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring according to promise. And that's a clear reference to Gentiles. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavoda reminding you that the word gospel means good news.